Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Lisa Keller. On today's Outdoor Explorer, we are taking a deep dive into the history, planning, and development of Chugach State Park. Chugach State Park is the third largest state park in the United States, but it is considered the largest urban park in the world because the park is contained entirely within the border of the Anchorage municipality. From the first people to arrive in the Anchorage area, to managing and protecting an area that is being loved to death, my guests will tell the story of Alaska's most popular park. My guests today are Monica Alvarez with the Department of Natural Resources, Ben Corwin, the park's chief ranger, and Ryan Yell, the chairman of the park's citizen advisory board. Keep listening for more on Outdoor Explorer. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's always hard to get three people together or four people together at the same time. So I really appreciate that you all are here. Yeah, and thank you, Lisa. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. And Monica just has a little short time. So we're hoping to squeeze her in at the top of the show here. So Monica, you're going to jump in whenever. And I think the first part of the show is mostly you anyway. So, uh, <laughs> um, I have really, really been looking forward to this show as well, just like Ryan. And um, I went back over all the old outdoor explorers, which go back to 2013, and there has never been a show just on the park itself. You know, we might have like hiking in the Chugach State Park, or, and in a couple of weeks, we'll have a show with my co-host, Martha, about climate change in the park but it's never been specifically about the park. So this is a park I grew up in. I love this park. And so I, I was, uh, it was really great to learn about more history as I was researching this and to talk to the three of you who really know a lot about what's going on in the park, both in the past and the present. So, uh, so Monica, let's start with you in just the history pre-park, starting with the first people in this area. Sure. You know, um, this was a really fun project for me um, because um, I got to get paid to learn about the park and um, get to plan about um, the future land use within a park that is just so close to my heart. It is, you know, our backdoor park. It gets um, a lot of use and it's really important to understand uh, how that park came to be and why it's so important. And, um, you know, Kind of first people arrived um, around 10,000 years ago. There's some uh, evidence within the park of past use. Um, and, um, you know, the Denina used the area quite a bit. Um, it was an area that was important for, um, it has um, a lot of mineral potential. So you saw some gold mining within the park early on. And, um, and, you know, the Iditarod Trail goes through the park, another kind of important historic um, resource. There's the kind of the history of the railroad within the park. You know, the state park headquarters is a section house, an old historic section house. So that's kind of neat. Um, and, and then just how the park came to be formed um, is pretty important too. There's always been, uh, a group of people that were really interested in using the incredible lands that are, you know, the Chugach Mountains and uh, surrounding area. And uh, so access has always been a huge concern. And um, early on, there was, you know, a proposal for kind of logging within the area and a lot of citizens that were concerned about the types of use that were occurring in these lands. And they formed together 
as a group to kind of push to establish uh, the area as a state park. And Chugach State Park is the second state park to ever be established within Alaska. So really quickly before we move into how the park was created, I, I do want to go back to the first people because one of the things I picked up in reading the plan, which I will put a link to this at the on our on our Outdoor Explorer page on Alaska Public Media, was that the first people here, they think in the, in the plan called the, the people Eskimos. So yeah. I'm assuming that we just weren't really sure exactly where they were. We knew they were from like, from Western Alaska in the ocean, the Bering Sea, um, and that there are Eskimo, they called Eskimo hearths at Beluga Point. Um, do you, do you, I know this has been a while since you've done this plan, but, and you're in a new one now, but uh, I was just fascinated by that. I, you know, like I said, I grew up here. I never knew that, that there were Eskimo people here. Yeah, and the Denina uh, kind of subplanted the right. Eskimo people. And, you know, I don't have um, a huge background on those that predated the Denina beyond what, you know, we have written up in the plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think th that to me, that's just really, really fascinating. And I, in know, the plan, my, it's. I'm sorry, my guess is just that, you know, um, the Denina kind of subplanted the Eskimo culture because of just the lack of marine mammals. And they seem to be more culturally attuned to uh, that as a resource mm -hmm. for subsistence than the Denina. And so that was probably one of the reasons they were subplanted. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing too, when we look at, um, you know, our history of trails, uh, that a lot of these original trails that we have in the park are from logging and mining and homesteading. Yes, <laughs> old roadbeds. <laughs> um, you know, that whole Glen Alps area was just old homesteads. And so a lot of those trails, um, Powerline Pass uh, is just a trail that's loved to death, but it's called Powerline Pass because it's a power line easement and a, a road easement that allows for power line maintenance. And so, um, you know, those are important things to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. So the legislature created the park in 1970 and, and you can go and read the names of the people. One of, one of the people, one of the legislators who was part of this was a father of one of my friends from high school actually. And um, so it was interesting to read those names and see some very familiar names uh, that, that they had the foresight to say, we need to protect this area. Um, and uh, in the statute, it said that the Eastern area of the park shall be operated as a wilderness area, the central area as a scenic area and the periphery areas as recreational areas. Uh, so that's kind of carried through in the planning. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, for all the state park plans that we do, we establish land use zones and then kind of all the management intent and permitting guidance um, falls within those management zones in terms of what's appropriate, what's compatible within that zone and what isn't. And uh, Chugach is the only state park that includes a description of how the land use zones should be laid out within the park. 
so they described the kind of the outer edges should be that recreational development zone and the interior edges, a little like a buffer between that and the wilderness zone should be the, that natural zone. And that is definitely embodied in the state park plan. And another thing I pulled out of there too that I thought was pretty interesting is that there's never been a fully surveyed or marked boundary of the park. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> it's, uh, there are very few surveys uh, along the boundary in fact. And so it's roughly almost a half a million acre park. It's uh, believe the third largest park, state park in the nation. And so it's, quite an area. I can't imagine the survey costs for trying to survey the boundary. So uh, so I had had this misconception that it was the largest state park in the nation. And then my co-host, Paul Twardick, set me straight on that. And he said, no, it's the third. But since it's not fully surveyed or marked, we're not, it, it could be larger or smaller. We're not really sure. Yeah, we roughly think it's about half a million acres is the kind of rough estimate. And uh, during the plan process, we had a plan boundary that was a kind of a GIS uh, plan boundary extracted from the legal description. And when we calculate the acreage within that boundary, it's roughly half a million acres, but again, has not been surveyed. So we can't definitively say that, but it's pretty close when you know, you do the analysis. I think he said that the, is the largest one that Adirondacks or? Yes. And then there's another state park in Alaska that's big too, right? Wood Tick Chick. Okay. State park, yep. And where is that located? That is in Western Alaska. Okay. By Dillingham, mm. north of Dillingham. Um, so the other question I have around this, is there a state park that is, so close to such a large urban area? You know, there's probably uh, smaller state parks close to an urban area, but one of the things we calculated when we were working on this plan um, is that basically 50% of all Alaskans live within 30 minutes of Chugach State Park. So that's a, a that's tremendous crazy. thing to think about. So, I mean, you're talking, you know, the, our population is almost 800,000. So around 300,000 people live within 30 minutes. Yes. Or more, more than 300,000 live within 30 minutes of Chugach State Park. So that can obviously put a lot of pressure on the park. It definitely <laughs> does. And it was quite a challenge of a planning effort to try to sort out all the uses and what would be appropriate and could be accommodated while still protecting the, the resources within the park. So I want to remind everybody, this is Outdoor Explorer on KSKA FM 91.1, and I'm your host, Lisa Keller. Today's show is all about Chugach State Park, and joining me are Ben Corwin, the Chugach State Park Chief Ranger, Ryan Yell, the president of the Chugach State Park Advisory Board, and Monica Alvarez is a project manager and planner with the Alaska Department of Natural Resources, and she was critical in developing the management plan. And she's been telling us about the history of the park uh, and, the, and beginning to start to talk a little bit about some unique challenges of the park. Uh, but let's move into uh, management planning because that was where you were really involved, Monica. And then of course, Ryan um, might have also play, has played a recent role in some planning and trail development with the Citizens Advisory Board. And then of course, Ben is living it. 
every day. <laughs> right, Ben? <laughs> right. So um, let's just talk about the history of the management plan. We, we think, or you think that the first one was in 1973, a few years after the, the park was developed or, or legislated into existence, I should say. Yeah, they did a kind of what they call a master development plan. So it was pretty minimal, you know, it was maybe 20 pages um, and just very high level. So nothing to the level of detail that you see in management plans today. Um, and then it was, uh, that was kind of revised in the 80s when it was obvious that the park needed new management tools and additional guidance for managing such a vast area that is so loved and um, used. So then there, it was revisited in 1986. So like that was, that was the year I graduated from college. So I remember coming back and spending a lot of time after college in the Chugach. Yeah, I bet. What a great area to spend time in, right? Yeah, and it <laughs> so was much different. Yeah, it was, I mean, there wasn't the the crowds. The crowds are the big thing now, I think, that, yes. is, that has changed. I will say Chugach State Park is definitely loved to death sometimes. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of pressure to access the park and a lot of use in the popular areas. So one of the things that we were cognizant of and were taking on during this planning effort was a way of spreading out use and um, opening new opportunities to access the park so that people weren't necessarily funneled into just one or two areas because that's the only areas that would accommodate parking. So that was a, a very central issue throughout the planning process is how to make other areas of the park more accessible um, so that people, if you live adjacent to the park, you shouldn't have to drive to a trailhead to enjoy it. You should be able to like, you know, walk across the street, use a trail easement to access the park. So mm -hmm. that was a central goal as we were going through this effort. And I imagine there's lots of those um, uh, social trails and other ways that people access the park. There are, and there should be more, you know, we were trying to establish legal access to the park from neighborhoods and uh, popular areas that we know people want to enjoy. So uh, there are recommendations in the management plant for new parking areas, new trailheads and expanding existing trailheads and just trying to spread out that use. Um, you know, the southern end of the park within the hillside unit, that McHugh Creek, McHugh Peak complex is what we call it, is, is woefully underserved and could have additional access to open up just an amazing portion of the park and kind of help disperse the use a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, well, one big change that happened between those two times periods, 1986 and 2016, was that additional satellite parking lot at Glen Alps. Yes, that is something that was, you know, there was a proposal in the 1986 plan about connecting the Glen Alps trailhead with the Upper Huffman trailhead. We maintained that proposal in the uh, version of the plan that we have in place now, the 2016 plan. Um, and that was sort of the beginning vision of it. I mean, it's gonna be a slow process, but the idea is that there would be hopefully a way to connect those two trailheads through a series of 
different uh, parking areas or trailheads that would be kind of specific to the use. So Glen Alps um, has a lot of folks that access it for all the various trails. And then the Upper Huffman Trailhead is designed to accommodate, you know, um, truck and trailer. So for mm -hmm. snow machines in the winter and then horses in the summertime. And so that was the idea is that each parking area would kind of speak to the use that is adjacent to that um, trailhead and accommodate that use in a better way so that people that were just interested maybe in, in trail hiking could go to a trailhead that accommodated their use and wasn't cluttered with, um, you know, truck and trailers for a different use. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a challenge figuring out how to do that because uh, there are just a few areas that are so popular no matter what you do. I think they're always going to just have a ton of people and overrun and, you know, Glen Alps is still, even with the addition of that parking area, still runs out of parking, right? Yes, On it does. Days, so. <laughs> the, the webcam up there really helps though, because it does, <laughs> you know, I, not just to check the weather, but to check what the parking is looking like. I use it a lot. <laughs> so I'm always like, when it's down, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm about to drive up there and find out. <laughs> Uh, so let's differentiate now between the management plan and um, the trail plans because they're sort of the same but different, right? And I, I don't know, maybe Ryan or um, Ben can address those. Maybe Ryan, are are you the person to talk about that? Uh, sure. I, I think Monica could probably get into more of the specifics, but the, the trails plan broadly is a supplement to the management plan. So it goes into more detail on not only existing trails, but proposed trails, trail improvements, and what is appropriate maintenance for said trail. Mm -hmm. Because the, the Chugach is more, so the management, you have the management plan, but we always tend to think about it as we use it is just the trails, but it's much more than just trails. There's all kinds of other management that needs to go on. Yeah, and like, I think Ryan, ahead, gave a, Ryan gave a great way. It's a supplement to what's in the management plan, which guides activities, all activities within the park, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, trails, you know, Chugach is a trail heavy park. It probably has more trails than any other park area. And so we went ahead and did a trail plan as almost like a separate discrete process within our larger planning process because they are so important. And the trail plan prescribes uh, the types of uses that are gonna be managed on a certain trail, the types of uses that the trail is gonna be designed for and the appropriate class of trail. So. The class corresponds with the difficulty and the amount of maintenance that you can expect to find on the trail. And, and so the trail plan is very specific, just focused on that, but it's definitely in keeping with all the guidance in the management plan. It just provides more specific guidance for trails themselves and the objectives for uh, certain trails within the park. And, and I was just really impressed. I didn't know this was all because I'd never looked at this management plan before or the trail plan, but it's really impressive the level of detail showing all the different types of usage and then what kind of trail you need to build for that. Uh, so I really encourage people to go look at that if they have questions about trails that are built. Yeah, and it's broken out by trail segments even. So there could be multiple segments along a trail that 
are managed in slightly different ways. So mm-hmm. it, it is very specific and it was very labor intensive uh, to get there. And the whole point of this trail plan, and it's the first one that was adopted under the new uh, state park sustainable trail practices. And so that was an important thing. We wanna make sure that trails that are built and maintained into the future are sustainable. And then talking about the future, this is supposed to be reviewed every 10 years. And then kind of the idea is that with the, the plan, there's a completion in about 20 years. Is that the idea? Or then you kick it over to the next management plan if it hasn't been completed. So basically you, finish one management plan and you have to start working towards the other one? Well, just to clarify a bit, the plans have been adopted. They are officially the policy of the Department of Natural Resources. And periodically, it makes sense to review those plans and see if they need revision. You know, typically those plans do not get revised every 10 years. We might take a look at it and see if the guidance is still pertinent. And I think that's been done recently. And we've concluded that yes, the the, factors are pretty much still the same and that um, there's, you know, not a lot of different um, information that we considered than when we considered the plan in the first place. And so the guidance was still good. Um, But then that's not necessarily a formal process. You know, this plan is just barely getting implemented, you know, since it got um, adopted in, in the, um, mid 2000s. So, you know, we're not even 10 years in, in terms of implementing it. And I will say, typically these plans are on the shelf for a lot longer than 20 years, (laughs) just given the resources to kind of circle back around and look at them. They involve a tremendous investment of department resources on every level. And so if we look to revise a plan, it's usually because the management tools in there are simply you know, completely outdated and not working and not providing um, help for the, for Ben and others that have to implement it. Um, the, the plan, by the way, for our listeners is like 120 pages or something, isn't it? I, I started it yesterday to be ready. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to spend a lot of today reading this plan. <laughs> yeah. And it depends which one you're looking at, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I can think about that has changed a lot in the past 10 years is uh, winter biking. Uh, So for instance, I don't think Middle Fork was originally a bike trail in the winter. And I I could be wrong about this, but then there was like, oh, we need to look at this and we can have winter biking here, but we definitely need to limit it to make sure that there's not an impact on our trails and stuff. Do I have that right? So that would be one place where you would say, oh, we hadn't really planned for this huge growth in this one sport. No, this that's, one- that's actually not true. That was a huge consideration when we were developing the trail plan. Hmm. Um, fat tire biking was exploding at that point in time. It started as kind of a newish thing at the beginning of our pl- planning effort, but it quickly became obvious that that was going to be a use that state parks had to grapple with. And while we were working on the management plan, they were kind of testing through permitting the use on where it would be best to allow that type of use. So at one point in time, the Middle Fork was an area where people could get permits to ride fat tire bikes on. And um, as a result, that helped guide kind of the decisions we made in the trail plan about which trails would be appropriate to uh, 
upgrade and designate for winter bicycling use. So it was very much in the forefront. It was one of the major things that we were thinking about when we were developing the trail plan. Mm -hmm. And I will say the decisions related to bicycles in the trail plan were very deliberate based on kind of the use we were expecting to occur within the park. Well, at least lower down, it's really clear that uh, in the wintertime that fat biking is the, the biggest winter sport. It has definitely taken over Nordic skiing. Um, it, I mean, just a big switch in 10 years. So that's really good that you guys were seeing that right at the beginning, that that was going to have such a huge impact. Um, so Monica, I think you need to take off probably. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for coming on. It was great hearing all this history and the, about the management plan. And I really appreciate you taking the time because it was very limited today and jumping on with us. Yeah. So thank you. And I apologize that I have to go, but you know, this dentist appointment was hard to get. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you can't skip those. No. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, so Ryan, let's uh, talk about the Citizens Advisory Board now and the role it plays in the management of the park. And Ben, you can jump in at any time because I'm sure the two of you work <laughs> together on this. I mean, you know, Ryan has to run this thing, but you are also having to listen and understand and react to what the citizens want. Sure. Yes, yeah, Ben is a fantastic help to the Citizens Advisory Board. So the State Park staff um, helps assist the Citizens, citizens Advisory Board uh, in the uh, compiling materials for the meeting and also driving the priorities that State Parks has for Chugas State Park. Uh, so the Citizens Advisory Board is one of 14 of the established Citizens Advisory Boards across the state uh, we have 15 volunteer members, and we represent a, a diverse group of users ranging from backpackers to hikers, uh, hunters, anglers, mountaineers, uh, Nordic skiers, and just general outdoor aficionados. Um, we have 10 purpose statements that kind of drive and steer our decision-making process and our roles and responsibilities, but those 10 purpose statements can really be summarized as just the function of the board is to serve as a public forum uh, to receive input from both the public and park staff on any matters concerning Chugach State Park. And those would be, you know, natural resource matters, infrastructure improvements or deferred maintenance, uh, changes to park regulation, and just general outdoor recreation conflicts between user groups and, and mitigating those. Um, all of our members are nominated through a review process uh, by an internal committee of the board and then we're appointed by the director of parks and all members serve two three-year terms before we term out and uh, the chair and the vice chair are the only officers that are elected annually um, this is my second year as chairman and um of course, uh, I believe we conduct 10 regularly scheduled meetings annually. And of course, during 2020, due to COVID restrictions and concerns, I think eight out of those 10 meetings were virtual. Um, Is that so, good or bad? <laughs> you know, there's there's been some challenges for sure. Uh, there's been pros and cons. I, I think overall, the meetings have, have been run really well and, and we've had very good public participation. I think having the ability to 
call into these meetings from home has really uh, increased participation, not only from the public, but also from board members. Mm -hmm. um, and having the ability to give the person uh, the, the floor um, at, at one at a time really helps mitigate people talking over each other. So that's one positive to, to the virtual meetings. It's kind of fun being able to control the microphones, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. That's right. right that's right. I, I do have to say, I, you know, I was at one, as you know, um, about what was it, maybe a month ago. Um, but it is something that I would never have shown up to in person. And so to be able to sit at home and listen to this and hear the discussion and, and be part of it if I wanted to was really a bonus. So how do you get the word out that there's going to be a meeting and so people can sit in and listen to it? or come to it once we get back to that. I, maybe you're not gonna do that, I don't know. Maybe you're gonna keep them virtual. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see what 2021 has in store for us. Mm -hmm. But um, all of the meetings of the advisory board are noticed through the state public noticing system online. Um, I'll admit it is a bit of a difficult website to navigate to sign up for those services. Um, and that's been brought to our attention in numerous meetings. So we do have an internal committee called the Outreach Committee that has looked at ways of, of revising, you know, exactly how we interact with the public and notice the information that we're going to be talking about. So we do actually have our own Facebook that is called Citizens for Chugat State Park. Um, and I would invite all listeners to like that page. And we share not only upcoming meeting content, but as well as any relevant information that might be affecting Chugach State Park on that uh, Facebook page. I, I did hear about that meeting through just a friend on Facebook. I saw them post it. So that's how I knew that there was a meeting going on. <laughs> but I'm not sure if I've liked this Facebook page. So I'll go do that for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> social media has been great for getting the word out for meetings mm -hmm. and just generally sharing information on what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, when is the next meeting? Uh, the next meeting will be in March. Uh, so we meet the second Monday of every month. It'll be the 8th. So, thanks, Ben. Yeah, March 8th. Okay. Yep, and the board typically takes uh, two months of the summer off just due to the fact that this is Alaska and summertime is our time to get out. And it's quite frankly hard to get a quorum in the middle of summer. There are very few boards that meet during the summer here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, we need to take a little break here and um, we'll be back and you are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media with your host, Lisa Keller. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. Welcome back. You are listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media with your host, Lisa Keller. Today, I'm talking with Ben Corwin, the Chugach State Park Chief Ranger, and Ryan Yell, the Chairman of the Chugach State Park Advisory Board. And earlier with us was Monica Alvarez, who talked about the history of the park and project management of the park and trails management, um, planning, the planning piece of it. And so now we're going to kind of get a little bit more into uh, the nitty gritty of it. And 
Ryan was just explaining how the Citizens Advisory Board works and that it's something that anybody in, in I assume Alaska, but Anchorage people are mostly gonna have, or, or South Central people are gonna have most of the, the skin in the game here, um, can come to an advisory board meeting, which are really easy now since they're on Zoom. So you can just sit there with your video off and your microphone off and just listen to the meeting or you can participate. They do a really great job of welcoming everybody who's new and seeing if you have any questions. So you can be part of that if you have input on the park. So let's talk about how there's, or it, well, they're called the planning units and how the Chugach State Park is um, broken up into these five planning units, roughly going uh, north to south or south to north. But Ben, uh, let's start with the Aklutna Peters Creek unit and tell me about that. Okay, very good. Um, this northernmost planning unit of the park, it includes a very popular uh, recreation area, Eklutna Lake, and that's a special um, lake. It's the largest lake uh, in the state park at about seven miles long by about a mile wide. It's got uh, five public use cabins up there and uh, a really nice uh, campground. But what's unique about that area is Eklutna Lake coupled with uh, Ship Creek provide about 75% or so of Anchorage's domestic water supply. And so- The best water in the nation, right? That's right, yes, <laughs> that's right. And, and so um, as, as a state park, one of the uh, primary purposes of, of it is to um, preserve that, uh, well, that water source for Anchorage residents, mm -hmm. while also um, increasing public understanding and the appreciation um, of uh, the denying of, um, you know, folks that uh, Monica had mentioned earlier that uh, were, um, have a long history in that area. One of the things I read is that uh, Aklutna Inc. has like 10% of the land, or it just said that there's implications with, that the Aklutna tribe has land holdings, 10% of the park there, and there's some implications about that. Sure. Just That's right. probably being able to work with them and coordinate things in the park and stuff. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, so I could try to speak on that a little bit, um, but I believe that um, that is um, through a land agreement, uh, NALA, uh, North uh, Anchorage Land Agreement, I believe. Um, and so um, we operate um, or manage that area of, uh, as, as state park. Um, and through that uh, agreement. Um, um, okay, so, so this is also the area where there was a recent avalanche, right? Correct, yes. And that there was uh, three people died. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yes. So there's- It might, might have started uh, uh, in the park and, and likely that's the case um, ended uh, just outside of the park. Okay, okay. Pretty sad deal. Yes, very sad. It seemed like it was a bad week last week for avalanche uh, fatalities across impact. the nation. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, very bad week. Um, so there are obviously trailheads there. Maybe they're not used as much as uh, more centralized trailheads in Anchorage, but there still is a lot of hiking <laughs> and snow machining and things out there. Sure, sure. The Aklutna area offers lots of recreational opportunities. In fact, Aklutna uh, Lake, um, itself is one of our busiest sites in the northern reaches of the park. Um, during the summer, it offers uh, 
pretty large campground um, and day use facility. And now we've got several public use cabins up there, uh, five, um, uh, and, and some that are uh, really uh, accessible, but all are popular year round. Mm -hmm. And so this time of year, uh, there's snow machine uh, opportunities um, and uh, cross country skiing and fat tire biking. Um, it's good, really good uh, winter recreation area. Um, Thunderbird Falls is also uh, within that uh, planning area and it uh, offers um, easy access to Thunderbird Falls, nice little overview of the falls itself. And um, it's about a mile walk or so. Mm -hmm. There's a couple other uh, trailheads within the planning uh, unit that are not as heavily used, but uh, certainly access some pretty cool spots of the park. Um, that's the Peters Creek drainage as well as uh, Ptarmigan Valley. So the next uh, unit a little bit south is the Eagle River unit. And to me, kind of reading about uh, that unit, obviously Eagle River has grown a lot over the last decade, two decades, and that there may be um, more conflict there with private land and homesteads trying to get access to trails. There seemed like there were uh, a couple of, well, I've read about a couple of different spots where there is some conflict going on. Sure. Yep. That's absolutely uh, true. <laughs> you don't yeah, have to talk too deeply to it, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, um, you know, the, that area is, um, just like every area is uh, really feeling uh, the pressure uh, from increased use and access is uh, an issue everywhere. I would say the hillside unit, um, which we'll probably talk about here in just a moment, and Eagle River are uh, the primary areas where access, is, um, access issues are at their uh, highest. Um, the, the Eagle River uh, planning area, um, holds Eagle River Nature Center um, and all of its uh, trails that extend out from there. It's also the terminus of our flagship backcountry trail, the uh, Crow Pass Trail. Um, and so that's one of the most popular uh, trailheads uh, within this planning unit, but it also offers um, access to Eagle River uh, Greenbelt, uh, where there's uh, great uh, summer activities uh, as far as uh, boating um, as well as winter activities to include snow machining, fat tire biking, skiing. Um, but one of the, you know, the hot button issues is access into Ram Valley. And I don't need to go too deep into that, but uh, Ram Valley is, um, is a real gem uh, of an alpine area. Um, and it's really exploded in popularity over the past couple of years. Um, and and there really isn't a very good access solution for that area. Um, so that's something that uh, we're looking into as well. Is, is the issue there that it has to cross, there, there's a cross of private land to get to the trail or, or there's no parking or? Yes, all the above. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay, so yeah, then, and, go ahead, Ryan. And Lisa, so one thing too, and um, so I'm a land use planner professionally um, my normal day, day job, but um, Anchorage Municipal Code actually requires any time that there's a subdivision that occurs on the boundary of the park uh, that a trail uh, easement be dedicated. 
uh, if it's if it's necessary uh, according to a few criteria. So that is one thing that um, sort of guarantees a public process for getting a trail easement into the Chugach State Park, but uh, it doesn't guarantee the development of say a parking lot. Um, mm. All it does is just guarantee a legal access. Uh, mm -hmm. So like I can imagine that area, like where are you gonna, you might be able to get the access through the easement to walk yourself in there, but where's your car gonna land, right? Absolutely. Because <laughs> you have to, most people, I mean, maybe there's a few people who might ride a bike up there, but most people are gonna drive their car. Yeah. Right. Okay, so let's um, uh, move to the Ship Creek unit. And I know that this is a big watershed. Mm -hmm. And also that the conflict here is federal with J-Bear. Um, you know, that was, and I know that like there's a couple of those North End peaks on um, the, the 12 peak uh, challenge that, you know, to get in or out of those peaks in a direct way, you have to cross over J-Bear land. And they have been uh, at least... And I know it changes with whoever their commander is, but at least recently it has been um, a big conflict with uh, not only the users of the park, the north part of the park there, um, or the north peaks of the park there, but also with the um, people who live along that boundary, along the tank trails. Mm -hmm. So how does, um, do you play any part in that? I, do they communicate with you? Um, <laughs> I'm just, I, I am so, very curious about this. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, uh, it, it, at least not that I'm aware of yet. Um, uh -huh. I haven't heard much uh, from Jay Bear as far as, uh, you know, um, uh, resource issues. They, they kind of do what they want to do on their land. And, um, and of course, we hear about it from folks that are wanting to access some really high quality land. Um, Adjacent to, to parkland and and not really realizing that they're they're on Jay Bear land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other kind of unusual thing about this too would be that Arctic Valley is up there, which is a nonprofit ski resort. But to get to Arctic Valley again, you have to travel the Jay Bear Road to get there. Sure, sure, and so. that is managed by Jay Bear, um, as well as the the main access to the popular. A trail that goes from Arctic Valley to Indian Valley, Arctic mm -hmm. to Indian Traverse, which is about uh, due to uh, get uh, into its real popular period of time um, this spring. Yeah, in about a month, probably, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the hillside unit, which uh, definitely it's a watershed too. And that, that kind of made me think of um, like how many people have their dogs in there, which I'm a dog person, but um, so it really becomes, when you see the piles of poop and, and the bags sitting next to the trail, you're like, and then you think, oh, this is a watershed, <laughs> you know, that really has kind of a bigger impact, the dog usage and also the human usage, because, um, uh, obviously there's housing on the Western edge of it and people have lived there and, all of the impact of at the trailheads. So we talked about that a little bit earlier, but that seems to be probably where the most conflict is for a number of reasons. Yes, I, I would certainly <laughs> agree with that. Uh, I mean, do we even need to, you know, expand on that at all? <laughs> uh, so, and, and also I think 
um, really watching during this period, the last year, where so many more people are out in it now. It's just really seems like it's going to be something that is um, the access issue and the conflicts with the user groups are, are going to be ongoing. It seems to me it just... Yes, they're both shaking their head, listeners. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're both saying yes. <laughs> well, uh, go ahead. I, I'll just say that, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a great thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, people love the park. I love the park. It's my office. It's my playground. Um, and um, and we, we fully expect that use is going to increase. And that's a good thing. But, you know, we have to... Uh, you know, continue to build trails and facilities that can accommodate that use. Um, and I know you had mentioned, um, you know, deferred maintenance earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's, that's ongoing. But um, as we build a new infrastructure, new trails, especially, um, we try to build them uh, sustainably um, and trails that require little maintenance uh, over long term that can accommodate these um, increased levels of use mm -hmm. over time. I'd like to remind everybody that this is Outdoor Explorer on KSKA FM 91.1. And I'm your host, Lisa Keller. And right now um, I'm talking with Ben Corwin, the Chugach State Park Chief Ranger and Ryan Yell, who is the chairman of the Chugach State Park Advisory Board and we are talking just all about Chugach State Park. Um, so um, the next unit, well, so going back to Hillside actually. Uh, <laughs> um, so that obviously the Hillside unit has the most usage of any of the units. So, um, and I know that Ryan, that you end up with a lot of the the conflict that's going on and maybe complaints or, or things that people want to be done better or whatever. So um, that's sort of what the citizens advisory board is about is coming to, you know, to a conclusion on some of these conflicts, right? Yes. So we are the, you know, the public forum for those that have any comments, grievances, suggestions, uh, to share about how they would like to see the park managed. Uh, they can come to the advisory board meetings and share those public comments with us. Uh, I will say, especially the Hillside unit, this is where we get the vast majority of our public comments. Um, we do have increases in the amount of, you know, uh, perceived conflicts between different user groups. Um, but that goes along with increased park usage. And especially, you know, this year for 2020, um, people were sort of stuck inside and they were looking, you know, uh, restaurants were shut down. Um, they were looking for things to do with their families uh, to have an evening together, a day together. So what were they doing? They were, many of them were going out to Chugach State Park, some for the first time ever. So it's really awesome to see that. Um, but, uh, I think in, in general, you know, if there's a new trail going in or a new use that's proposed on a, an existing trail, people are generally comfortable and accustomed to what they know and how they viewed the park, uh, you know, over the course of their time frame using it. 
So they're oftentimes resistant to that type of change, even though that change may be very appropriate and may be completely and entirely in line with all of our management plans and park regulations. So um, my role as the chairman of the advisory board is just making sure that you know, we conduct a, a proper public meeting and that we balance um, all of those factors and take them into consideration for the de decisions and recommendations that we make. You know, I'm, this is kind of flashing me back. I'm old enough to remember when people were really upset when the trail up flat top was more formalized and, and built better to, you know, help with erosion and everything. And, and people got in the whole, that whole Blueberry Hill area, people got pretty upset about that. Now nobody thinks about it at all. <laughs> well, I think so, about it. Oh, it's do the, you? <laughs> it's the most, it's the most climbed, uh, peak in Alaska and also the source for the most search and rescues. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, also, I, I do want to point out that when you used to drive up Abbott Road up until maybe even 15 or 20 years ago, you did not see the trail up Wolverine Peak. And now you can see clearly the trail up Wolverine Peak. So that that's, a, that's you know, just a very visual impact on how much it's loved. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, let's, uh, the final unit is the Turnigan Arm Unit, and this is a really unusual unit because there's a highway running through it, and uh, uh, Monica mentioned earlier the Potter Section House, which was built in 1929, which has to be one of the oldest structures in Anchorage, I would think. There aren't, I mean, there aren't, can't be too many that are older than that. And then the, old, the other unusual thing I think about the Turnigan Arm section is that there's climbing here, and so that might create some um, particular challenges in terms of parking and, and you know, because it's Chugach crud, it's going to crumble under people and cause problems. And so, sure. yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the Turnigan Arm Unit. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so the Turnigan Arm Unit is pretty cool. And also to, to mention that, so it includes climbing, but it goes out into Turnigan Arm itself. And so you've got the boar tide too, which is pretty cool. Um, that is cool. And, um, and so uh, the Turnigan Arm Unit is, uh, is really accessible uh, because all of the trailheads exist right off of the Seward Highway. It's also um, creates quite a, a hazard uh, to, to folks that want to view wildlife and get out and uh, view belugas in the fall uh, just because of the busy highway. It's one of the more dangerous highways in the mm -hmm. state. Um, in the country, I think, isn't it? Yeah, likely so. <laughs> um, so anyway, there though there is uh, lots of hiking opportunity, wildlife viewing opportunities, and um, uh, and even fishing at uh, Bird Creek. And that might be also like people who are coming in on a cruise ship to Seward or Whittier. That might be the area of the park that they see more than any other area. Oh, without a doubt. In fact. Yeah. Um, in years past, we didn't see much of it last year, obviously, but in years past, we'll have uh, uh, tour buses pull into Bird Point and use the uh, overlook there to watch belugas and mm -hmm. take pictures of the scenery. And yeah. Whatnot. I mean, it is really pretty amazing because we have all this marine wildlife and then we have this big fauna, you know, and sure. I mean, it's just, we have just such a diversity of, of wildlife here, so, and in the park. Right. Um, 
which by the way, uh, so I know somebody who has uh, some game cams, the Muldoon game cams. Have you seen those? Uh, it's pretty, you should go look at them. They're amazing. She is capturing, because there used to be this thing, there were only like six Wolverines in all of Chugach State Park. She is capturing within like two to 400 meters of houses in uh, Northeast Anchorage, multiple Wolverines gathering together. Like, I think she had a that's, video of like three wow. Wolverines at a time, like playing. Wow. That's pretty cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and something we really never knew was going on, you know? Sure, they're generally a pretty solitary animal. Yeah, I think maybe we have to rethink that. <laughs> yeah. I saw my um, first Wolverine last year in the park. Oh, I saw one like 10 years ago in the park on Powerline Pass. Yeah. Where did you see the Wolverine, Ryan? Uh, back by Willowa Lakes. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are really nearing the end of our time and I still have like so much to talk to you guys about. We might have to regroup at some point and have another interview uh, later on uh, because there are some major things I wanted to get into like, um, you know, uh, partners that work with the park and other plans like the statewide comprehensive outdoor recreation plan, which has a big impact and the land and water conservation fund. Um, but I do want to touch on a few other things before we close out here. And one is, um, I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the land use of the park is basically in three different um, uh, areas. I think this was different between the trails plan. The, the, the terminology was different between the trails plan sure. and the land use management plan. So, yeah. I'm so, here wanting to talk about the land use zones. Is that right? The, right, exactly. So there's the wilderness zone, the natural zone, and the recreation development zone. And this becomes really important when you're talking about how you're, what you're allowing in the park to be developed, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So can, can you address those, maybe start with the wilderness zone? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of going from uh, the uh, backwards, I guess, uh, in, a, in a way, but the wilderness zone is the area of the park that's set aside uh, to uh, preserve uh, as much as possible the wilderness and aesthetic values of, of that area. Um, and that really, um, I've got a, a map behind me here and I, I, um, I know you can't see that uh, listeners, but uh, get people calling here at the office all the time and it's easy for me to turn around and provide uh, route descriptions to those who are planning their backcountry trips and I like looking at it as well. Mm -hmm. um, but really um, almost the entire eastern uh, half of the park is within this wilderness zone. Um, and it's not a congressionally designated wilderness, capital W wilderness, um, but it has many of the same qualities as far as being non-motorized um, and whatnot. Um, but uh, the, the purpose of this area, as I mentioned, is to have minimal development and uh, maintain those uh, wilderness aesthetic qualities that that area does have. Mm -hmm. So th this is also probably has the least amount of human impact on it because it takes a lot of work to get back there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Least amount of human impact um, and yeah, least development. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is the natural zone? The natural zone is a, is a buffer between um, the wilderness zone and the recreation zone. Um, and there's uh, uh, a very, uh, you know, little of this zone uh, that exists, um, but uh, it's 
it, it it's a it's essentially it's just the buffer between the two. So is this like um like with Willowall Lakes, like where Ryan was, would that be mm. the natural zone? Like it takes some work to get there, but you're not out in the middle of nowhere. There is an established trail. Right. Well, in in some areas, um, there uh, there is no delineation between the two of them. Mm. Um, it goes straight from recreation zone to uh, wilderness zone. Um, and then there's other areas like along the Crow Pass Trail where there's a, uh, a natural zone that allows for some development, um, uh, which is to be expected because it's a, such a popular thoroughfare. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the recreation development zone. And the reason why I went backwards on this was because this is obviously the place that has uh, the most people, the most conflict, because what one person sees as recreation may they may, the other next person may think it impedes on their recreation. Um, so this is where probably most of both, both Ben and Ryan, both of your work happens is in this recreation development zone. Is that right? Yeah. yeah yep. That's <laughs> yeah, that's, it's the area with the heaviest usage, um, the most diverse allowed uh, user groups. Um, and the most uh, rescues probably happen here too, I would think. Well, yeah, certainly highest highest use. I mean, it uh, encompasses all of the most accessible areas um, and uh, the highest density of, of trails as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I am definitely going to have you both back at some point. Maybe Monica too. She says she's working on new things, so maybe she'll have something to share with us too. But. Um, I obviously really appreciate you guys taking the time on this one. And, and I hope it was fun enough that you will come back and have a conversation with me again. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I'd love to, Lisa. Great. That's it for today's show. Thanks to my guests, Monica Alvarez, Ben Corwin, and Ryan Yell. You can find pictures and links to Chugach State Park, including the current management plan, on the Outdoor Explorer page on alaskapublic.org. Listen to my co-host, Martha Rosenstein's show on climate change in the Chugach on March 18th. The show was produced by Eric Bork. My name is Lisa Keller, and from all of our hosts here at Outdoor Explorer, thanks for listening, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.